0: scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel 2. This can be found on page 1370 in your pew Bibles. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them,
1: I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means.
0: Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers,
1: This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me what, the dream and, what tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me.
0: Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered,
1: I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me.
0: The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer,
2: Why did the king issue such a harsh decree?
0: Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said,
2: Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king.
0: Then Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him,
2: Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him.
0: Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belt- Belteshazzar,
1: Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it?
0: Daniel replied.
2: No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were laying there, O king, Your mind turned to things to come. The revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O King, may know the interpretation and that you understand what went through your mind. You looked, O King, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now I will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay." As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the rock cut out in the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy.
0: Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel,
1: Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery.
0: Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
3: Wow, there's a lot there. Daniel chapter 2. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, it's no fun when you can't sleep. There was a time this summer when our two-year-old Lily would suddenly wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Other nights she woke up and she'd be frantically running through the hall, through the upstairs, and there was no way to calm her. You could tell by the look in her eyes that she just really wasn't there, even though her eyes were open. She wasn't really awake, and so it was impossible to help her, and we felt helpless, trying to soothe her, trying to speak calming words to her, it was all in vain. We found out later that uh, these were episodes of what's often called night terrors. And not only did they keep Lily awake, but as you might imagine, they kept me and Jackie awake as well. And what was so frustrating is apparently there's nothing really you can do for night terrors. You just have to sort of wait for your child to outgrow them. It's no fun when you can't sleep and you can't do anything about it. Which leads me to this question. What keeps a king? From sleeping at night. Not just any king, but, but Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, you could probably say, was even more than a king. He he was more of an emperor. All right? He ruled the known world at the time. Everything that he saw belonged to him. Anything he wanted, he took. This is a man who doesn't just take over the little land of Judah. He's taken over every land between here and Timbuktu. He's not a guy with a few cars in the garage. He's the kind of guy who owns Toyota and Tesla and General Motors together. So what is it that keeps someone like that awake at night? It would be good to know. Because if it keeps a man like Nebuchadnezzar awake, chances are it keeps a few others awake in this world as well. So that's one of the questions we want to think about this morning. What keeps someone like Nebuchadnezzar awake? There's another question, however, and that is, is there anything that we as God's people can do to relieve his night terrors? And that prompts, I guess, another question, and that is, should we care? Why would we care about helping someone like Nebuchadnezzar with his night terrors? Why should we care about him having a good night's rest? It's a good question. Many of us would probably say we shouldn't care. We don't have to care. But it doesn't take long, really, to come across the answer for why we ought to care. Daniel 2, in a way, is a very familiar story, at least for those who are familiar with the Old Testament. It's it's very similar to the Joseph stories, is it not? Um, In the Joseph stories, too, there's a foreign king who can't sleep, who has dreams. No one can interpret the dreams or tell him the meaning until God's servant steps up, interprets the dream, and sort of saves the day. And what the Joseph story reminds us of, first and foremost, is our calling as God's people in this world. Our calling as God's people is to bless the world, to bless the nations of the world. Joseph, in his faithfulness to God, right, interpreting the dreams, becomes vice-regent in Egypt and saves the entire nation, saves his own people by keeping them from starvation. And very similarly, here in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel also blesses others and saves others. Daniel blesses the king from a lot of, or preventing him from a lot of sleepless nights. More importantly, he saves an entire class of Babylonian wise men from being cut into little pieces. Daniel blesses. And so just a surface reading of the text this morning reminds us as God's people that we have a calling in this world, and that calling is to bless the peoples of this world. And surprisingly, that calling is ours even when we are a people who live in exile. Even if we don't particularly like the people who live around us, Even if they are our captors, we still own that calling from God to be a blessing. It's something that would have been on the people's minds at that time, and it's some background to this text. In Jeremiah 28, Okay, we are told there that there were false prophets in Judah at this time. And these prophets were telling the people who were about to go into exile in Babylon, what they said was, when you get to Babylon, don't settle in the city. Don't associate with the people, okay? In fact, what we want you to do is pray against the city. Pray that the city will fall. Pray, because in two years, God is going to bring us back to Jerusalem. That was their message. But in Jeremiah 29, God says just the opposite. He says those prophets are telling you things you want to hear, but they're telling you lies. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, what I want you to do is to build houses and to settle down. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. I want you to increase in number there, not decrease. I want you to seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. You hear that? I want you to seek the prosperity of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Even when you are in exile, God says that's your calling. No matter where you are, that's your calling to be a blessing, to be the conduit of my mercy and my grace and my revelation. So, what's the message? When you get to the city, when you get to Babylon, what's the message? Don't isolate yourselves don't separate yourselves but also don't assimilate don't just fit in i want you to live in the city but while you're there i want you to be a blessing in that city so it's pretty clear i think how we as god's people are to live in a foreign place like babylon pretty clear what we are called to do although I don't think we're always very convinced that that's actually what we should do so maybe it would help if we tried to understand a little more what it might be like to actually live as a Babylonian in Babylon I mean what's life like for the Babylonians for the citizens of this place I just want to look at that for a moment let's look at a couple of things first of all I want you to notice that when you live in Babylon, there's a lack of wisdom, okay? There's a lack of wisdom in Babylon, even though there's no lack of people ready to offer it, right? There's no lack of people ready to offer it. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep, but Nebuchadnezzar's got resources, right? And so he calls on them. The magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, Dr. Phil, everyone he's got. Nebuchadnezzar calls them all together and he lays the situation in front of them. He says, look, I had a dream, not sure what it means. It's haunting me and I want you to clear things up. But this is how I want you to do it. You tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. And this is where things get a little harried for, for the magicians. And they kind of say, oh, oh, great king, we don't think you have this quite right. You're not following the protocols here. Um, you're the one who's supposed to tell us the dream, and then we're the ones who interpret it for you. Tell us the dream, we'll take it from there. And the king says, no, that's, that's not the way it's going to be this time okay this dream is too important for all your shenanigans I see your commercials on late-night TV I see how you take advantage of the lonely and the vulnerable we're gonna have none of that okay either tell me the dream and tell me what it means or I'm gonna cut you into little pieces now what I like us to see here friends is that the wisdom of the world is limited. It's limited. It can only take us so far. And the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, they themselves acknowledge that. Okay? Look at verse 11. What the king asks is simply too difficult. No one, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among men so no human being they're saying has this kind of wisdom these kinds of answers what they are saying here friends is that the source of true wisdom is above the source of true wisdom is god okay and unless he's involved That search for wisdom, that search for answers, is one that takes place in vain. Friends, I think that's something we need to hear today. Okay, Let's just think about wisdom for a moment, all right? And I'd just like to try and point out two things. So wisdom is sort of the practical guidance for how we live our lives. When you read this story, look at all the professional spouters of wisdom that there are in this story. And yet they themselves recognize their own shortcomings. And basically what they say to the king is, is look king, there's two sides to wisdom. There are the people who spout it and then there are the people who hear it. And the people who hear it have to be very discerning in what they hear because the people who spout it don't have all the answers. You have to be discerning in what you are listening to. And I think that's something we need to be reminded of again today. Okay? Let me give you an example. Ever since Kathy Doima retired from haircutting, I've been going to like serial haircutters, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I have found so many who are like three parts philosopher and one part (laughs) haircutter. They've all got all sorts of wisdom for how I ought to live my life. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, with being in good shape and living longer and it's fairly obvious you just need to take one look at me and think yeah this guy needs a little wisdom in this direction and so I hear all kinds of things about you know how I can be healthier how I can get in shape this past week I heard all about the wonders of Diet Coke all the things that it could do you would be amazed okay I'll talk to you about them later if you want to hear them but it's not just the wonders of Diet Coke I hear about how all the political problems in the world can be solved I had one hair cutter who was trying to tell me that if I took the vaccine for COVID, my DNA would be forever altered. I asked, where did you hear that? She said, Christian radio. She knew I was a pastor. I was a little stuck. I was like, okay, I'm not sure what to say, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. But what I'm saying is these people had answers, answers for everything. And I'm sure you've heard all the answers as well it's not just people who cut your hair who tell you the answers i think we find so much of our wisdom these days on social media and i've found something else that strikes me about that it seems like the less we know about the person who is writing on the other end of what we're reading the more legitimate we seem to feel like they are it's like an inverse proportion that i don't quite understand But friends, I think we have to get back to even what the magicians of Nebuchadnezzar were trying to tell us, and that is we have to be discerning in the wisdom that we are listening to, all right? Because unless that wisdom has its source in our God, it can't tell us everything we need to know. Now, there's another side to this equation, all right? And that is that there are a lot of people in this world also who, who seem to hear um, wisdom spoken, but if it's spoken by a non-Christian, it's totally disregarded. It's as if, well, but that comes from a non-Christian, so there's no way that it could be true. And, and to those people, I would say as well, Hold on there, we need to be discerning because there is a Reformed doctrine that we call the doctrine of common grace, and that is that God reveals his truths not just to his own people, not just to believers, but many things he reveals to all people. Remember the text in Matthew, he causes the rain and the sunshine to fall on the righteous and the wicked alike right? Remember the text in Genesis where, where Pharaoh had to become Abraham's teacher in ethics and he had to tell him, look Abraham, it's not a very good idea to be passing your wife off as your sister, okay? Just want to say, right? The world does have some wisdom. Hairdressers do have some wisdom. You can't just dismiss it all. There is some wisdom On social media you can't just dismiss it all but you've got to be discerning you can't just say well because this person doesn't know God they obviously don't know science it's not true so friends we have to be discerning in the things that we hear we have to be discerning and recognize that true wisdom actually comes from our God So, this is the first thing about living life in Babylon, and that is, it's a life without all the answers all the time. And that can keep you up at night. The second thing about life in Babylon is that you realize the truism that you have feet of clay. You have feet of clay. I once thought that um, Nebuchadnezzar needed the sorcerers and the magicians to to tell him his dream because, because he must have forgotten it and so he needed people to tell him his dream. And Then I realized well, you don't usually lose sleep over something that you've forgotten, right? So I've come to believe that that really wasn't the issue and I'm thinking what really might have been the issue is that Nebuchadnezzar thought he did know the meaning of his dream. Right, He saw this incredible statue. Uh, who would he relate that to? He's the most powerful man in the world. I have a feeling he thought, ah, that's me. And then as he worked his way down, he saw that that statue had feet of clay. And that he didn't like so much. This whole idea of a rock coming and knocking him over and pulverizing him. It's not a very nice message to receive, is it? And so I think Nebuchadnezzar actually went in search of somebody more legitimate who could tell him his dream and tell him a different meaning, right? I'd like to hear something different. Nobody likes to hear that they have feet of clay. It's another thing that keeps you up at night. One of my favorite basketball players was Pete Maravich, I mean he could do it all he could shoot he could dribble he could pass he was a magician with the ball and his name was Pete what could be better if you know anything about Pete Maravich you know that his dad press coached him for much of his life when Pete Maravich was born his dad put a basketball in his crib so the craziness kind of you know filters down through the generations Um, When Pete was a little kid, he was a little scrawny kid. He was the smallest kid in his class, but he would go around telling everybody that he was going to play in the NBA one day. Now we all know kids like that, right? But this kid would go for rides in the car with his dad. His dad would drive him through their little small town. He would sit in the back seat and he would open the window on the passenger side and he would dribble the basketball as his dad drove around town. And then, when they made the whole circuit, he would move over to the other side of the car, roll the window down, and he'd dribble with his left hand all around town. That was Pete Maravich. His whole life was basketball. Everything he did was basketball. But later in life, he said this he said that basketball never took away the sadness, it never took away the sadness. He said, there was only one thing that ever took away the sadness in my life, and that was the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it's sort of Nebuchadnezzar's story all over again. And that is, you can make it all the way to the top. To the top of the world, to the top of your sport, to the top of your profession, you can become the head of gold But if you pin your hopes to this world, to Babylon, to your profession, to whatever it is, you will never find true joy. You'll always be anxious. You'll always be afraid. You might be angry. You might be sad. Because you'll know at any time it can all come crashing down because you have feet of clay. And that keeps you awake at night. So that's the situation in Babylon. Okay, life is without answers most of the time. And everyone has feet of clay. And maybe that's why God says, I need another people who will step into that world, who will step into that Babylon and give them true wisdom, give them true revelation, give them true light so that they can sleep. Daniel helped by revealing the mystery of the dream the mystery of the dream let's take a little closer look at that dream and at the statue in that dream for just a moment a lot of people when they read this part of of Daniel chapter 2 they want to do sort of a one-to-one correlation between the different parts of the statue and the different historical kingdoms that they might represent. And we sort of get lost in this, well, this is Rome, this is Greece, this is the Medes and the Persians and all that kind of stuff. We're going to save that for another day. I I want to point out this morning just two things about, about that statue and about the dream and the interpretation of the dream. The first is that the kingdoms of this world all suffer from the same malady. Okay? And that is decay. Every kingdom of this world deteriorates, dissolves, decays. No matter how powerful, every kingdom in this world will fall. In fact, nothing in this world can last, not forever. You cannot pin your hopes to a kingdom in this world or you will be disappointed friends have you ever felt yourself wishing wishing that it's not a lot not asking for a lot but just wishing that things could stay the same for a while like let's say you finally find um, some really good friends right some people that you can really relate to some people that you really enjoy and you think okay I just, I would like life to just stay this way for a while. It doesn't, does it? I mean, people change. People move away. People get sick. Sometimes they die. It doesn't stay the same. Or let's say you you think, you know, I'm just in a really good place at work. Um, I enjoy getting up, I enjoy getting to the office in the morning or whatever I do, and I wish it could just stay this way for a while. But it doesn't. One day you get a new boss, or you're put in a different work group with people that you really don't know and you really don't like, and it doesn't stay the same. It can be as mundane as... You know, you finally find some decent transportation and you you can rely on that car that's in your driveway and you think, "Okay, if it would just stay this way now." But it doesn't. The car rusts, it gets old, it breaks, it doesn't stay the same. That's the world that we live in. It doesn't stay the same. It always decays. The center cannot hold. Kings and kingdoms pass away. And if they are what give you your hope in life, that will keep you awake at night. Just think about China for a moment. Okay? Okay? China last week flew dozens of military air missions into Taiwan's airspace just to sort of flex their muscles, see what the world would do, see what the U.S. in particular would do. A couple of weeks ago, the United States sold, you may have heard this, nuclear submarine plans to Australia, right, made the French quite angry. Um, many people think that we did that actually to increase our own military presence or strength and power, our Navy presence, in a part of the world that's a little closer to, you guessed it, China. Some say that the reason the U.S. pulled its troops out of Afghanistan so abruptly was because we didn't want our military interests so spread out across the world. We wanted to kind of bring them together to consolidate them a little more and point them more in what direction? The direction of, of China. In other words, there's sort of a new kid on the block, isn't there? Speaking in world terms. And they're kind of flexing their muscles here and now. And, and it seems to shake us a little bit. And it perhaps might make us think. I wonder if we'll be on top of the world forever. Or if we're seeing the beginnings of decay. I mean, how does that make you feel? To think that the U.S. won't always be the biggest kid on the block. Does that make you anxious? Or afraid? Or angry? See, friends, we need to hear Daniel's message. All kingdoms of this world decay. Do not put your hope in them. The second thing Daniel reveals about this dream is that the kingdom of God is moving in just the opposite direction than what we just heard. The kingdom of God is not in decay. It's going in just the opposite direction. The kingdom of God is growing. It's evolving. It's, it's flourishing. The kingdom of God doesn't just stay the same or keep things the same as they are. The kingdom of God is a place where things actually become newer. It's a place where they become fresher and stronger and brighter. And this is the kingdom that will take over one day, that will take over this place. It will. In fact, it is, even now, behind the scenes, quietly, like a mustard seed, expanding and growing until it takes over the whole earth. The imperishable will replace the perishable. Now, <clears throat> oddly enough, when Nebuchadnezzar hears that, he doesn't fly off the handle. I mean, you might expect the dishes to start flying at this point, right? And, and Daniel to do some ducking. Why? Because not every king likes to hear that, that he's not so much the cat's meow, that there's someone greater than he is, that there's a kingdom greater than his, that his kingdom is only temporary. Someone like Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like to hear those kinds of things. And yet the dishes aren't flying. And what we have to remember, friends, is where Nebuchadnezzar is hearing this message. Because he's hearing it in Babylon, a place where there are few answers a place where everyone has feet of clay. It's a place of darkness, but no sleep. At least now, Nebuchadnezzar has answers. Now Nebuchadnezzar knows the future. He knows that there is something permanent, and he knows where to find it. Now Nebuchadnezzar can sleep. When Daniel explains the mystery to him, Nebuchadnezzar now knows his place in the world. And so does Daniel. Daniel is one of God's people. And Daniel is a messenger of God's wisdom and a messenger of God's mystery, the mystery of the kingdom of God. That's Daniel's role in the world to bless God's world with God's wisdom and God's mystery. And that's not a place of choice. That's a place of calling. And it's a dangerous calling. It's dangerous to tell the king that he's no longer on the top of the mountain. And friends, Daniel's role, that's our role in the world as well. Our role in the world is to share with the people around us the wisdom of God and the mystery of his kingdom, his kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ. And that's kind of a dangerous role to play. Let me tell you why. It's because people are not always willing in the present to hear about the character of a kingdom that is to come. Let me say that again. People are not always willing in the present to hear about the character of a kingdom that is to come. At the same time, it's exactly what we hunger for. Let me try and give you an example of that as we close. In his book, Blood Done Sign, My Name, Timothy Tyson tells a story about his father, Vernon, who was a Methodist minister in the 1960s in the Deep South. And Vernon was facing Race Relations Sunday in his denomination. What do you do on Race Relations Sunday in the Deep South in the 1960s? Well, <clears throat> what Vernon Tyson did is he invited his friend, a black pastor, Gil Gillespie, to come and preach in his pulpit on that particular Sunday. And when the congregation heard of it, there was quite a stir, as you might imagine. And one of Vernon's biggest adversaries in this whole deal was a certain man <clears throat> who On that particular Sunday, they had Sunday school first, okay, and then they had the worship service at 11. He made the point of showing up for Sunday school that day and then made the point of letting the pastor know that he would not be staying for the 11 a.m. worship service on a matter of principle. And so he stormed out of the church. Well, that same man came back to visit the pastor about a week later, and uh, he walked into his office and he said, Vernon, let me tell you what happened after I left your office. He said, I got in my car, and apparently um, I've got more curiosity than principles because I turned on the radio and started to listen to our worship service on my way home. He said, and I started listening to the preacher as he preached. And the more he preached, the more enthralled I got. And the more captivated I got with the word of God. And he said, I got all the way home and he wasn't done preaching and I couldn't get out of the car. So I just sat in the driveway and listened. He said, I listened so long my wife actually had to bring me out a sandwich for lunch. And as he says this, he just laughs at himself as he's talking to the pastor. And he said, you know, the longer that man preached, the whiter he got. And I would change those words just a little bit because I think the longer that man preached the less white his listener became and the more Christian he became. He didn't want to hear about a kingdom that was coming not into the midst of the world that he knew and yet That was exactly what his heart needed and wanted to hear. That there is another kingdom, a newer, fresher, brighter kingdom that's going to roll over the kingdoms of this world and destroy them. And it's going to grow into a mountain that will last forever and ever and ever. That's the message that our God has given to us. It's the message that he gave to Daniel. Let's be sure to share it so that the world can sleep. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came as the perfect servant of God. You came to pass on to us the wisdom of God and the ways of his kingdom, and we weren't ready for it, and we put you to death. But God raised you from the grave. And through your resurrection, he has begun to raise us all and to make all things new. And so we praise you for your work and we praise our Father in heaven for never stopping, never ceasing in that work and for the promise that he never will cease until it's all completed. And we shall celebrate with you on that day in your kingdom And we get a taste of that right now. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.